The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. The scripture text for this morning's sermon is Luke 2, verses 39 through 52. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of the Lord. As Pastor Kenny mentioned, uh, this is the last sermon in Luke chapter Two, we've been going through this extended Advent series. And just by God's providence and the way the calendar works for January, it also needs to be a sermon on prayer. And then next week, a sermon on the Word. How does looking at Jesus as a 12-year-old boy and talking about prayer work together? Does it work together? Oh, it does. It sure does. And I'm looking forward to sharing this with you. The first two Sundays of the year are what I call home base, word and prayer. Word and prayer. It's a great rhythm for us. Hope and peace. It's like the wandering traveler abroad, longing for home, and upon returning home, there's peace of heart, rest of spirit, home, home base. Now we do return to home base every Sunday. Word and prayer. We can be grateful for this. Don't assume it. Keep praying that this would be so at Bethlehem for the rest of our days. But these two Sundays, word and prayer receives a little extra attention. When I consider these two pillars, word and prayer, I must always default to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is saturated with references to God's word. And then often the psalmist expresses this to God in prayer. Here's a classic example. Verses 9 and 10. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my 
With my whole heart I've sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. There's the prayer. This example of word and prayer in Psalm 119 is not a standalone thing. It's saturated with this kind of partnership. It's really wonderful. And this is where John Newton helps us. John Newton was a a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and a, a hymn writer in the 1700s. And this is what he said regarding home base. The chief means for attaining wisdom are the holy scriptures and prayer. The one is the fountain of living water. The other, the bucket with which we are to draw. Isn't that good? It's so helpful. Just this little sentence. Transitioning now to prayer. We can pray because of Christ's righteous life, death, resurrection, and his praying life in heaven. Our Lord has been interceding for us all morning long, all night long. He is able to save completely those who draw near to God through him, through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us, for the saints. And this is where Charles Spurgeon helps us, moving ahead a hundred years. Gospel preacher, this is what he says. We are saved because he died, but that salvation is brought home and secured to us because he sits at the right hand of God and continually makes intercession for us. You have sat down at the foot of Calvary. I want you to go and sit at the foot of his throne. And as far as your dim eyes will permit, behold his splendor and see how he spends his glory life in perpetual intercession for you. Isn't that amazing? He's still serving us. It's wonderful. Our Lord is still serving us. And that 12-year-old boy said, I must be in my father's house. And we would say, why, Jesus? Why must you be in the temple, in your father's house? He might say something like this. My father's house is a house of prayer. And he welcomes all the peoples of the world as they come in my name. Those who are welcomed will come in my name. I'm a light of revelation to the Gentiles, even a light to all peoples. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Oh, I'm praying for them. Presenting before my Father who I am and all my righteousness. And all that I have accomplished for them. I will save them completely. For I live to make intercession for them. Oh, I must be in my Father's house. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. I must suffer and be killed and on the third day be raised for my sheep. I will keep them to the end. And I'm preparing a place for them in my Father's house, heaven and the new earth. Therefore, Bethlehem, take heart and pray in faith in my name. And I will hear you say with resolved, joy-filled faith, Oh, we must be in our Father's house. He has a room there waiting for us. Jesus said so. He keeps his word. Surely he is coming soon. See, friends, we can pray and can hope 
Because that boy submitted to his parents. He always pleased his father in heaven. He is our righteous representative. And he always makes intercession for us. Here I am, Father, and these whom you have given me. Pray with me. Father, we can pray because of your sovereign grace upon us in Christ, the interceding one. The interceding one. Our shepherd king. Our master. Our living savior. Worthy is the lamb. Do that good work in our hearts by the Spirit now. Show us Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. So God placed his son in a God-honoring home. They honored the law. Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. That's obedience to Leviticus chapter 12. The law was obeyed. They offered the sacrifice of purification for Mary after childbirth. Again, this is Leviticus 12. They obeyed the law. They celebrated the Passover each year. Leviticus 23. They obeyed the law. So Jesus is in a God-honoring home. This is a little window into Joseph's heart and Mary's heart. And it is in that environment that Jesus grew up. Verse 40. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And Jesus, he was a growing boy. Like other children, he's getting stronger physically. He's maturing in life. He continued, continued to develop in wisdom, knowing how to think and what to do in light of that. Now the bedrock to a, of a life of wisdom is spoken of in Proverbs 9 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So Jesus as a boy is growing in wisdom. He's living out wisdom, reverence and wonder before God. And Jesus knows that God, the Most High, is his Father. He loves his Father. Now when did that land on him? That God, Most High, was his Father. What's happening now? It's happening now. The favor of God was upon Jesus. Now his father saw something different in his son than seen in the best of people. The best of people still fall short of God's glory. And his favor comes to them through their sin, granting grace and mercy. Consider the righteousness of the people already listed and mentioned in Luke 1 and 2. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Like, what a statement. Mary, the angel said to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. The shepherds, they returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. Simeon, he was righteous and devout. Anna, she was worshiping with fasting and prayer, night and day. Still, they had sin. We see in them 
imperfect blamelessness. A phrase that I discovered in John Piper's book, Providence. And that category helps me so much as I read through scripture and see righteous people. However, God's favor upon his son did not have to work through sin. There was no sin. There was no sin. Now let's stick with the text. That 12-year-old boy was perfect and blameless. His experience of growth was different than ours. Reading verse 52, we see that Jesus is increasing in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and man. So how do we grow in obedience, and how did Jesus? We grow in obedience in at least three ways. By obeying, that's true, through suffering, and this rhythm of sin, repentance, and faith in Christ that we know so well over and over and over again. But what about Jesus? He grew in obedience by obedience and by suffering. There was a a growing weight to his obedience and suffering that prepared him for the garden. That great battle as he sweated blood, reckoning with having to face his father's wrath for us. And then the cross. And the author of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 5 verse 8, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Well, Jesus, he was human. He was tempted in ways like us. And as a human natural ability, he could have sinned. But he was God. He had no desire for sin. Like you and I. Which means he had no ability to sin. His heart said yes to God. And yes to his glory. And no to sin. Don't you long for that? As you are in Christ, that day's coming. That day's coming. That's Jesus' experience as a boy. Now both are true. He's man and God. A wonderful mystery. I cannot explain this. But where explanation hits the ceiling, wonder and exultation soars ever higher. Jesus Christ, what a Savior. Man and God. Now, cultivate astonishment with me at Jesus' righteousness as a boy. Let's stick with the text. He's 12, 12 years after birth, 12 years. He never turned in on himself with selfish ambition. He was never selfish. As a child, imagine that. He never said with a prideful spirit to another child or thought with a prideful spirit to himself, I'm faster than you. I'm stronger than you. I'm taller than you. I'm smarter than you. Actually, he was glad when another child was fast and strong and tall and smart. He was glad for God's gifts to other children. Now, can you imagine a child like that? Can you imagine an adult like that? I want to be like that boy. He never yanked a toy out of another child's hand. He never grabbed a toy back in hot anger when a child yanked a toy out of his hand. 
He never gossiped about another child to another child or to himself. He was never jealous. When a child was honored in some way who had a bit of a reputation of being arrogant and haughty, Jesus did not grumble. He always submitted to his parents in heart and in outward deeds, both when they gave him a command with patient love and when they gave him a command with impatient harshness. He, oh, he never arched his back against his parents' leadership as they put him in the car seat as a one-year-old. I mean, be astonished. He always honored God in perfect obedience, obeying God's word as a boy. That 12-year-old boy was completely righteous and was increasing in wisdom. He lived Colossians 1, 9 and 10. He was Colossians 1, 9 and 10. Well, Paul said, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, Jesus was, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, Jesus did. Fully pleasing to him, Jesus was. Bearing fruit in every good work, Jesus did. Increasing in the knowledge of God, Jesus was. Let's never separate the righteousness of this boy from our hope and what he accomplished for us ultimately on the cross. If he sinned for one moment as a three-year-old, it's over for us. We need him to be pure. He was, and he is. And Jesus said, John eight twenty nine, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. What a statement. What a verse. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. In prayer, John 17, 4. And that includes a righteous life. So, what do we make of this account? Him being away from his parents. I mean, surely he would know that this would be hard for his parents if he was missing. And Jesus was a 12-year-old boy. But he was different. He was different. If I can say it this way. He was spellbound. Fascinated, captivated, and enthralled with the wisdom and authority of God's word and what it all pointed to, him and his father's glory. He was learning, the Holy Spirit's leading him, he was learning and listening and meditating and thinking of who he was and what he was called to as revealed in God's word. Jesus being in the temple as a boy, for those three days, had to be evidence of the Holy Spirit's leading in his life. It had to be. Now, what was the Spirit saying to him? Listen to Isaiah speak of the Holy Spirit and of Christ in chapter 11. <clears throat> the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. And the spirit is saying to the boy Jesus, this is who you are, righteous, faithful, and wise. Isaiah goes on, chapter 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed 
for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And the Spirit is saying to the boy Jesus, this is why you are here. Isaiah goes on, chapter 61, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the Spirit is saying to the boy Jesus, this is why you are here. Verse 41 and 42. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. Now, I'm not sure if this means that Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the first time when he was 12 or that he had been going up and now this year is different. I'm not sure, but in either case, this year is special. This year is special. Now, think of it. The Holy Spirit's leading Jesus. He knows that God Most High is his Father. And he's in Jerusalem and it's Passover. And he's seeing things. Now, if I understand what's happening in Jerusalem correctly at the time of Jesus' life as a boy, during the feast of the Passover, the following is likely. Jerusalem was filled with lambs, people in anticipation, a huge celebration. The Levites would be singing Psalms 120 to 134 in the temple somehow. Either a priest or the head of the home killed the lamb in the temple. I think that it is likely that Jesus was with Joseph when he saw him or the priest kill the lamb. Seeing it crumple down as its blood poured out. Now just pause for a moment. The Spirit is leading him. The Spirit is teaching him. As Jesus watched as a 12-year-old, did he, did he think, wait, That's me. As it dawned on him that God was his father, did he also begin to reckon with having to face his father's holy wrath? As a boy, was that beginning to land on him? Father? I have to face your wrath for them? It's a foretaste of two powerful statements, one in the garden and one on the cross. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This did not begin in the garden on the cross. It's beginning now, and he's 12. Joseph would have taken the lamb back to where it was roasted, eaten, after sundown by the whole family. The atmosphere around the meal included conversations about the Passover and Exodus. I think Jesus is growing in understanding that the good news in Exodus, don't you love that book? The good news in Exodus for God's people points to him. Again, if I understand correctly, there would be more celebration in the streets after the meal. And the temple would be open at midnight for further worship and prayer. Now, can you see Can you see Jesus as a 12-year-old boy in the middle of all of this reality in Jerusalem on the Passover as he's growing deeper and deeper into the knowledge and comprehension that all of it found its ultimate fulfillment 
in him. And the Spirit's leading him. I mean, he said the most unusual thing. My father's house. But who talks this way? The son of God does. Now, how does a 12-year-old boy in his humanity reckon with all of this? I would suggest to you that he wanted more. He had to have more. He's thinking about the Passover lambs and himself. He's thinking about God's suffering servant and himself. Perhaps the wrath and justice of God is capturing his attention of what it might mean for him. He was thinking about God as his, as his father. He had to be in his father's house. He wanted more. So yes, he had to be there. We want him to be there. It's part of the saving work that Jesus in his righteousness brings us. It's the path that the Spirit is leading him on. He said, I must be in my father's house. It's the temple. The father's house is the temple. And it represents father's holy and merciful heart. He welcomes people to himself. Father's house. Father's heart. And today we come to God the Father and to his loving heart by way of his son, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Later on, Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must, there's that word again, I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock and one shepherd. Father's house is a house of prayer for all his children from among all the peoples of the world. And those who come, come in Jesus' name. Jesus had to be there. He is our hope. He is the way to the Father. Jesus is the son of his father's pleasure. Jesus is the son of his father's delight. Jesus is the son of his father's love. And as we are in Christ, we as his flock are being washed over continually right now by father's pleasure, delight, and love that's for us in his son. Verse 46 and 47. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Well, amazement is fitting. That that fits. Keep reading. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, I wonder how he said this. I don't know. But he honored his parents in doing so. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that had been told them. When Jesus responded to the teachers... When they asked about where his parents were, the text doesn't say that they did. So I don't know for sure, but they better have. That's what I'm thinking. Where's your parents? And when Jesus responded to his parents right here, his tone, his countenance, and the spirit honored his parents. Verse 51. Let us be so grateful for verse 51 and five words that are in it. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. 
and was submissive to them. Five wonderful words. He kept Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother so that as we trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins, coming to the one who lived, died, and was raised, who bade his parents and his father in heaven, our days will be long in the land, even to eternity. By love, Jesus obeys and receives the wrath of God and the judgment. By grace, we trust and receive the wonder of glory and the joy. Bethlehem, do not shift away from the hope of the gospel. Let the word of Christ, the gospel, dwell in you richly. Renew your wonder at the unsearchable riches of Christ. Remember what Zechariah said to his son John about Christ. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet in the way of peace. Friends, master the content of the gospel. Pray the theme of the gospel. Overwhelm sin and stress and lies from the devil and darkness with the gospel. Be mastered by the hope, power, and promise of the gospel. That wonderful boy submitted to his parents. He pleased his father in heaven. He obeyed so we can. And can have true hope as we pray in his name. And verse 52 is a, a trajectory of righteousness of his life as he grows up as a man. He increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Another year. Another year has come and gone. And these years, not just days, these years are a vapor, aren't they? This has been a good year for us. Our loving harmony in, is maturing while our affections remain fixed on Christ and his good news. A year of that. That's wonderful. For some of us, man, I can see faces. For some of us, 2023 has increased our sorrows, increased our losses, increased our tears. Jesus cried in the face of great sorrow. The death of Lazarus and the shared sorrow in his loved ones. Tears are honest. They are Christ-like. Painful things hurt. Let's cry with our Lord today. Knowing that one day, tomorrow, he'll wipe away our tears. Sorrow is temporary. Joy in Christ forever. By the Spirit's guidance, our faith, Bethlehem, our faith and our hope has gotten more steel-like. I believe it. Father never leaves his children. We know this as a spiritual family, don't we? Christ never leaves his sheep. We know this as Bethlehem, don't we? The Spirit never stops assuring us that we belong. The hope of the gospel. We know this as brothers and sisters in Christ, don't we? 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Sorrowful? Tears? Yes. That's honest. We follow our Lord in honesty, yet always rejoicing. The joy runs deeper still. We are going to make it. We're going to make it. Our Father will see His grace upon us and in His Son to completion. It's going to happen. It's happening. We're going to make it because that boy submitted to his parents. He always pleased his Father in heaven. He is our righteous representative, present tense. And He always makes intercession for us. Here I am, Father, and these whom you have given me. I know that there are large spaces of time when no human soul is praying for you individually. Minutes of time. Hours of time. Let's be honest. Perhaps for some days of time. And those spaces are absolutely filled to the brim and constantly overflowing with pure unstained, powerful, pleasing to our Father, Present tense prayers by Christ, who always makes intercession for us. He took names to the cross. He's praying for names. He's been doing so all morning long. Our hope and prayer, first and always, is not our praying, but in the interceding one. That's good news. That's good news. It begins and ends with Jesus Christ. Our Lord, our Master, our righteous King. But I could, I could summarize this sermon in two words. The sermon about a 12-year-old boy in prayer. How do you do that? You know the answer. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Now what follows is a collection of heart desires that we can turn, we can turn into prayer that we've reviewed these last number of weeks in Luke 1 and Luke 2. For example... May we join Mary with grateful faith, saying in response to our Father's goodness and grace upon us in Christ, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of a servant. Pray that. May we join Zechariah and Elizabeth in maturing and imperfect blamelessness as we rest in Christ's righteousness that is ours by grace through faith. May we receive renewed wonder, Zechariah's prophetic word concerning Christ and the gospel. It is by his tender mercy that we are forgiven, that we are alive and walk in the light and in the way of peace. May we join the shepherds, don't you love the shepherds, as they return to their homes and places of work, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. May we carry the same sense of contentment that Simeon had, being ready to die in peace because he saw God's salvation, Jesus Christ. And we do too by faith. May we join Anna in speaking of redemption, even the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, for one another's encouragement. And let's do that Wednesday night, 6.30 to 9. Let's meet in the name of our Redeemer, praying the theme of the gospel. And we will return to home base on Wednesday night, in part by praying through that great prayer, Psalm 86, David's prayer.
Would you pray with me now, please? Father, by love, you have commanded our everlasting joy in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ the righteous. And it is your pleasure to complete in us what you have begun. Therefore, at the end of this year, with peace of heart, we say with certainty and a sure hope, we must be in our Father's house. It is also with anticipation of heart that we look into next year because we long for the return of the King to see your Son. Surely he is coming soon. Our affections cry out, maybe next year. It's our desire, maybe next year. Until then, we need your mercy. Turn to us. Be gracious to us. Give us your strength. You have. Thank you. We ask for more. All of this to the praise of your glorious grace upon us in Christ. He is the longing of our heart, our reward, our treasure, and peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.